When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Disruptive CEO Nation, where company founders, entrepreneurs, and cutting-edge thinkers drop in from around the globe to share startup stories, insider insights, and hard-earned success lessons. Now, here's your host, a woman who mastered business by placing heels on the ground all over the world, having worked with and coached CEOs and senior leaders from over 90 countries, and who wants you to build your best business future, Allison K. Summers. Hey, we're so happy that you chose to join us today. We are popping over to London, where we are going to talk about climate data analytics. And this might be something that you say, hey, Allison, why do I need to know this? Well, the answer is we all need to care about climate change and all of our businesses and companies need to care about their footprint. We need to care about what we're doing in the world. And so our guest today is somebody that you need to connect with on LinkedIn. You need to know, you need to follow. And... So here we go. I want to introduce Josh Gilbert, who's the founder and CEO of Sust Global. Josh, welcome to the program. In your own words, tell our listeners what it is that you do. Sure. And firstly, thank you so much for having me, Alison. Um, so at Sust Global, we transform climate complexity into business intelligence. So whether that's climate analytics, climate data analytics, climate APIs, all these different uh, kind of f- fancy technical ways of approaching things. My, my co-founder and I, we come from the satellite in- industry and geospatial industry. So like there's a lot of buzzwords, there's a lot of uh, fancy descriptions of things, but at Sus Global, we really try and turn all of that complexity into things that people and our customers can understand. So we look at two different types of uh, climate risks, both what's happening to us, i.e. you know, think about Climate, physical climate risks, so wildfire, sea level rise, um, flooding, cyclones, uh, tropical storms, bad, bad stuff happening, uh, and also the emissions output that we have that then in turn contributes to those things. So we take global climate models, a load of geospatial and satellite drive data, crunch it all together with machine learning to turn all of these complex data sources into information for corporates who have supply chains or investors who want to make decisions. And they can see, well, for each one of our assets, what are the risks? What are the emissions outputs and how do we then integrate that into our strategy to uh, make our business uh, more profitable, more sustainable um, and contribute in a meaningful way towards the net zero initiatives that everybody seems to be promising at the moment. And we're making sure that we will follow through on them. Well, there's so many questions in there to unpack. So my understanding is you're trying to make climate data trusted and useful. Who are your primary clients that you're working with right now today? So the primary clients that we work with today are large financial data providers, financial institutions who basically want to know um, how does portfolio A look when compared to portfolio B when you're bringing in these new factors such as climate related risks um, into your assessments. You know, for many, many years, these these companies have have assessed um, uh, traditional risks, I suppose, Mm -hmm. uh, in a factor analysis. And now... um, both regulation and climate events are uh, 
becoming increasingly severe. And that's making these companies then uh, need to look at these things. So the customers today are often large financial data firms that want to create new indexes or signals or um, you know, pricing products that then asset managers, investors can, can all buy. I think one of the really interesting things though is the way I look at the evolution of this market is we're working with the very early adopters, mm-hmm. but we're entering, we're entering into like the, what we call the climate economy in the same way that 20 years ago, we're entering into the web economy, right? Where climate is just going to become a part of all of these different business practices and all of these different investment decisions, supply chain decisions, strategic decisions, risk management decisions. And we're kind of at the pets.com stage of the climate economy. So there's a lot of charlatans, there's a lot of made up numbers, there's a lot of ESG, which stands for environment, social and governance uh, as as like a a metric, something like a third of all assets under management now count as ESG. But there's a massive backlash in, in, in in the investment community where they're like, we don't know what E, S, and G really mean. And what's a high score versus a low score? Why is Coca-Cola at the top of the ESG scores? Or, you know, even some oil and gas companies come up very good for ESG, but then maybe Tesla, uh, which is driving forward the climate economy, is, is, is really low. So the point with all of this is to say, bring in satellite validation to make sure we can trust the data, i.e. we're not just making grand claims and promising all these things. You can have an objective source of truth for the data. And the second part is focusing on building whether it's the dashboards or the APIs or the or the code to make sure that our, we meet our customers where they're at and they can just use the data in their workflows. Because the last thing that anybody needs, like we all have busy lives at home and at work, but the last thing we all need at work is another uh, function or another thing that we have to create and worry about and manage rather than actually integrating climate into our existing workflows. So it's a long, a long description of, the way that we're trying to serve those customers and also how we're trying to create that market of next generation customers. Yeah, and I, I think, Josh, when, as you said, we talk about market evolution, right? And I, I, I think in simplistic terms, I, I go back about 20 years when we were first really becoming sustainably conscious. And we used to talk about, you know, are you just greenwashing it? Are you just, you know, you're saying you're doing good, but are you are you really? And and what you're you're talking about is such a an advanced evolution of looking at it, but yet it, it's critical because the people won't be able to hide. When, when you have trusted data, you know, the, the facts are the facts. And so I love what you're doing. I want to take a step back because you you briefly gave in your introduction that you came from the satellite industry. So Josh, help us understand um, what your background was and what was the impetus for uh, founding SUS Global? Yeah, they're, they're great questions. And I, I kind of fell into geospatial analytics and, and satellite imagery. Um, I wouldn't say by mistake, but fortuitously, certainly, because I didn't come from that background. I did economics as my major at university. I did um, international development was the area I focused on. So price volatility in you know, Gambian um, uh, or Zambian, actually, my 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 dissertation was price volatility in Zambian copper markets and how that then affects kind of world progress. Going down the rabbit hole on these kind of things, <laughs> I got obsessed with, uh, I know, not, not exactly where you imagine uh, satellite and geospatial experts come from, but I got obsessed with climate and clean tech, uh, especially off-grid solar, kind of looking at how you know huge parts of Africa can kind of make the leap forward, not needing a full grid, using these solar projects. And I started working as a data analyst in a, in a climate and clean tech uh, research and 
and consulting company, kind of worked my way up there and became obsessed with geospatial data, looking at all of these new satellites that were coming online, all of these machine learning approaches. And to be honest, in many ways, I was just a fan. Like I was just like, this is really cool. I think this is really important. I think it can change the world. And I started writing a lot of research, a lot of blogs, a lot of data analytics, became very bad at my day job, but very good at kind of exploring this subsector. Um, and it led to, um, you know, I was then hired as a consultant to go into one of the largest geospatial analytics companies on the west coast of the US in Mountain View called Orbital Insight. They're Sequoia, uh, Sequoia backed, one of the biggest, most impressive startups in the space. And I was basically helping them on the sustainability side of their go to market, helping look at the product, learned it from the inside out. And interestingly there, I then met my co-founder. He was the head of analytics and insights at Planet Labs, which is in San Francisco. It's the world's largest kind of, oh, the operator of the world's largest commercial satellite constellation. Uh, they have about 300, 400 satellites that they've launched. And his job was to turn all of the analytics into something useful. We kind of got together and I said, hey, you know, all of this new analytics coming online, all of these new ways of processing the data, we can apply this to climate and climate change and climate resiliency. And I've been working with all of these customers. Uh, if only I had the smarts to pull it off. Turns out he had the smarts to pull it off. And that's really <laughs> how the how the business came to life. So I didn't naturally enter into this space through virtue of being an expert, but I kind of came into it almost like manifesting the idea of, hey, this is important. How do I find a way into it? And somehow by hook or by crook, I managed to do that. Well, I love that. I love that. So you're you're now based in London. Is um where's your where's your co-founder? Um, so he's in San Francisco. Our team is split pretty much down the middle. We're 16 employees today. Um, we have six six in the UK and eight uh, and the rest 10 in the US now. So we're uh, we're growing very quickly, but we have the Atlantic Ocean, which which uh, sits between us most of the time. Well, Josh. Before we started recording, I was I was talking with you and and having been somebody that's worked internationally and had the opportunity to to go to business conferences and things on different continents. I always found that the UK and and the continent of Europe was a little bit further ahead of the US in uh, this focus on on climate change and analytics and and um I want to say business regulations around you know doing the right thing. What is your take right right now today? Is is the appetite and the awareness in the U.S. growing? How do how do the different continents of the world compare? I think the statement that you just described is generally true, in the way that across Europe and in the U.K. there is a rich history of looking at some of these things. Many of the frameworks and the uh, uh, kind of V1 approaches to managing these risks, understanding these risks, disclosing these risks, uh, have come from Europe. But the US, my, my opinion is, a lot of good ideas come from Europe, a lot of execution and uh, delivery of those ideas can often come from the US, just in terms of pace of innovation. So I'm, I'm, I'm no longer a proud European, but I'm a proud uh, uh, Brit. Uh, unfortunately, the, the, <laughs> the political environment has changed somewhat. Uh, but I grew up for a time in, in the US. I grew up in Philadelphia. So I kind of saw both sides, both sides of the coin. And in, in climate, the way the way it's happened is the US has spent a lot, has spent a long time, the regulators looking at climate-related risks. Um, in March 2022, so last month as we record this, um, the 
SEC, so the Securities and Exchange Commission, announced their climate risk kind of policies and, and these things that they were going to do. And the timelines are pretty aggressive. You know, they're saying by 2024, any US corporate is going to have to not just disclose their climate related risks, uh, whether it's their emissions profile or the risks facing the companies, but they also need to have it audited. So we're going to see this explosion over the next couple of years of US companies of consulting opportunities of auditing firms of you know the big four really doubling down on climate really accelerating their approach to these things and i think the us has has you know europe has a head start but the us is moving very very quickly and has a lot of resources and, and capital that can be allocated towards driving change in in the way that we address climate change well josh as you talk about that i and, and you talk about real trusted data I sure as heck hope some of our politicians in this country uh, take note and really, because um, you know the the joke here is is everybody tries to say it's all it's all not real, um, but I want to yeah yeah it is it is truth. I'm intrigued by I I just have to go back and ask you you talk about satellites you talk about where you started with satellites, um, how how. I, I, whenever I think about satellites, it's just amazing to think of really how many are up in that sky over our over our head. Um, but tell us a little bit, do you rent satellite space? How does it actually work for you to go about the, the process of your business? Yeah, so we were initially funded by the European Space Agency uh, a few years ago where, or, you know, we, we did a, we did a uh, demonstration project with European Space Agency data where they Gave us gave us the grant funding and said, "Hey, go out and build some cool stuff." So, our approach has always been to take the best in class, openly available data as like a baseline. Mm -hmm. um, all of all of all of the NASA and all of the ESA, so that's you know, uh, the US and the and the EU space agencies. Um, a lot of all, all of their data is not just freely available, not just global, but it also has a very extensive history uh, i.e the satellites have been up there longer than most other satellites um, and they're still one of the best in terms of um you know the ability to process the data and kind of i guess in, in layman terms like the structure of the data it's very well put together it's very solid so we use that as a baseline with everything we do and then we kind of overlay different geospatial layers different uh, commercial satellite data layers kind of as and when we need to again integrating all these things using deep learning but one of the big learnings that we've really had is as soon as you start renting or you know utilizing satellite um, imagery from commercial providers the unit economics if you think about we're providing this global view of mm -hmm. all of the different risks anywhere on earth and finding all of these specific assets and looking at the risks or the or the or the emissions coming from them the money really, really stacks up. And we've won business against competitors that rely too much on the on the satellite data side where you get to the you get to the negotiating table and then companies that are using all of this commercial data say, yeah, it'll cost a million dollars to get going. And we can, you know, begin begin at a tenth of that price. So the short answer to it is we can do, but it costs a lot of money to do it at scale. Well, thank you for explaining that. I I just have to Thank Josh here. I'm I'm jumping topics now because I want to talk about your culture for your your company, and I I I worry that if I went to a cocktail party with your team, that you would all be talking over my head. But I've been to your website, and I always encourage our our listeners to head over and 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 check out your your website and get to know more about your business and your team. 
but your your team on your about your, your the about page you're very lighthearted you're very open it's it's um i encourage my listeners you know go take a peek at their their team page but josh what is the culture that i would find if i if i really came and worked at like susco global i think that there's two answers to these questions there's normatively what you would like the culture to be as a and as a ceo you know you kind of have uh, you say oh this is these are the these are the values and this is the the way we do things and then there's what we do right and the the, the culture is or like we, we are what we do right we are what we repeatedly do so we've spent a lot of time thinking about the values we've looked at with these different ways that we can represent them we've we've kind of spent a lot of time working with the team on these things because i think in today's job job uh, market and kind of corporate environment it's one of the really people don't just pick their career on well where can I make the most money it's really about how do I feel a part of something how do I feel included is there equity is there diversity is there inclusion um, so we spend a lot of time creating uh, a space for the team to feedback on these things and one of the things that I've really tried to do in, in that process and my learning in the process is number one, lots of different people have lots of different views on what, what a culture is. Uh, and number two, the last thing you want is to seem like it's a decree from on high in terms of what things should be. So we've broken it down into three really simple things, which is a really important part of our culture is just trust, you know, making sure that we trust each other to do a great job, to empower each other, to get the job done, um, to communicate effectively, kind of all of these things I think can be wrapped up in focusing on building trust. Um, the second point and something in our culture that I think is essential and often, uh, you know, it's easy to get carried away with, with, with culture, customer first, right? The customer matters. Um, we're, we're not the main characters in this story. In our, in, our, in, our, in our values, we've got a little picture of Luke Skywalker and Yoda. Uh, you know, the bit when Yoda's on his back and they're doing like training in the uh, original Star Wars movies. And it just says like, Luke Skywalker is the customer. We're Yoda, like, right? We're, we're not here to say we're the main characters in the story. We want to empower our customers because if they win, then we win. Um, and the third one is really just about opening the circle. It's making sure that not only is there diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, but there's also the ability for people in the company to, for movement, um, to make sure that they can grow, to make sure that their voices are being heard, to make sure we are that kind of inclusive and, and engaging company. So these are just the three points that we've kind of come to. We're constantly evolving and iterating on them. I just caveat all of that with like, talk is cheap. Uh, it, it's how we conduct ourselves every day. So rather than me telling you, I don't know, I have told you, so this is a bit, <laughs> I would say kind of, if you were at that party, I'd encourage you to spend the time with them and see how we conduct ourselves rather than me just giving these kind of, rules and regulations for, for how we would like to think we conduct ourselves. Well, where's the company going next? What is the, the, the three to five year vision? You shared with us um, all of these changes also being forced by the, by the government, how um, you try to have a lean business model when it comes to um, acquiring the data. What beautiful things are you going to do and how are you going to grow in the next few years? Yeah. So our mission or our vision rather is to build the foundational climate data layer that really enables the climate economy. The thing I was saying about earlier, you know, we're entering into this super exciting time. We're entering to this not just paradigm shift, but also kind of an existential driver for that shift is 
you know, the, the things that we're seeing every day in terms of climate change getting worse. So coming back to that thing where we have the satellite validation, that's an important part of it. Over the next three to five years, we're really obsessed with providing this foundational data layer, providing the integrations, allowing our customers, whether they are, I don't know, an investor, a consultancy, a corporate, um, an NGO, um, you know, a local government, government or community, to use our data in a number of different ways. So we're focusing on the integrations, we're focusing on enabling this rich ecosystem of users. So that could be investors that want to make better investment decisions. It could be, you know, a, a, a community or, or, or local government that wants to build, you know, a little web page where somebody can type in their zip code and they can see what are the risks uh, related to my property or what can I do about those things? Because I think the last thing we ever want to do is just become, you know, a company that helps hedge funds get richer or banks get richer and climate justice is a really real and important issue you know so we want to democratize access to this type of climate data and make sure that we're just the foundation that our customers and our users build amazing new products amazing new services amazing new applications that we couldn't even think of um, but by giving them these tools and these building blocks they can they can go out and do that themselves is there is there any data that that you all are are seeing that you would share, you would say we should be concerned about or, or nobody's talking about? Um, I know that's kind of a broad question, um, but you have all of this. It's almost like I'm envisioning, you know, you talk about the climate data layer and I'm envisioning this, you know, like it, it's not a, it, you have a lens into seeing the unseen. And you have a lens into seeing things that most other people aren't seeing or aren't talking about. As you said, maybe your, your clients, these, these investors, these portfolio people, the, the people who are currently adapters of your products. Um, but is there anything that you would share that like the data is telling you that you wish the general population knew? I think there's two different parts to the answer. So there's the things that I've people can do with our data. So for example, right, there's a lot of opaque um, geographies, uh, you know, where you can't really see what the emissions are and maybe people make up numbers and maybe there's just not very much accuracy or validity to any of the numbers. So by having the satellite data in the same way that, you know, in geopolitics where I don't know, this is years ago now, right? But maybe Iran or North Korea say like, oh, we're denuclearizing or we're not launching rockets. And then the next day you see through the satellite data or the satellite images that these things are happening. Um, the same kind of thing can be done with emissions output. So I think it's really important to shine, uh, shine the light or the lens, as you described, Alison, to kind of look at where are these places in the world that um, you know, we don't currently have data on from other sources and how can satellite data unlock uh, ways for us to see that. Um, I think the second part is really in the integrations. Um, so there's the the known unknowns and the and, and the unknowns, right? And like a lot of the ways that you can integrate our data with other data sources. So I talked about climate justice earlier, right? And if you had, you know, economic data on a region or a city or um, you know topography of where people live, um, you know what. What groups of people live in these places? What are the what are the job opportunities? Where do they go to work? And then you overlay that with the climate risk data. 
I think that's when you can get really, really interesting and unique data sets. So the first answer is kind of saying, this is the direct way to observe stuff that we couldn't see before. And I think the second one is actually just encouraging whether they're data scientists or climate scientists or you know, city municipal planners or whatever it is, that it's actually integrating our cutting edge hashtag satellite, you know, all this kind of super cool bleed, bleeding edge kind of stuff with a lot of old boring data that can really unlock <laughs> massive value. Um, and it's one thing I've learned through the journey, right? Like, however cool I think the data that our company builds is, a lot of that old boring silo data is incredibly valuable. And it's just a irre irreplaceable piece of the puzzle as we start to unlock the ways that we interact with our climate and the ways that we can do stuff about climate change. Well, Josh, this has been so informative. I feel like I've I've learned so much, and and I spiral off into all of these other types of uh, questions. Like, uh, is Arizona definitely a place I don't want to live in the next ten to twenty years? Um, but that is our time, and I want to be sure that you can tell people how to find out more about your company, how to connect in with you. So, where should they go, and and what's the best way to reach you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter, Josh Gilbert UK, uh, LinkedIn, I think it's Josh J Gilbert, uh, susglobal.com. Um, please do reach out on one of those channels, say hi, have any additional questions. Um, just full disclosure, Arizona is a lovely place. Uh, Phoenix is a lovely place. I'm sure there are wonderful <laughs> things to do there. Um, I'm certainly not. Uh, uh, we, we can we can tell you which parts of which parts of anywhere are at higher or lower risk, but that's a that's a story for another podcast, I'm sure. <laughs> or that cocktail party that I plan to come to. <laughs> there we go. There we go. I'll see okay. you there. Okay, Josh, thank you so much. And to our listeners, if Josh shared something that you think somebody else needs to hear, please pass along a copy of this uh, link to this episode. Uh, as always, please go rate us on Podchaser or your favorite podcast channel. Um, until we speak again, keep your eye on the future and always be disruptive. Josh, thanks again for being such a wonderful guest. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.